a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Right, it's a Tuesday morning, but, you know, politics doesn't stop for holidays, uh, even Labor Day, uh, of all. I'm joined by John Moore and Jeffrey Miller. Morena to you both. Kia ora Good morning. How are we today, sirs? Good. Good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, good. Studio's a bit hot here, but hey, look, like a sauna. Well, I can't help it if I'm in here. <laughs> of course it's <laughs> hot. Uh, all right, 2K19 has seen a huge amount of protests uh, in this nation and around the world, from Brexit to climate strikes, um, to nurses, uh, to you know, bucking against the looming um, halo of the Chinese government in Hong Kong. Uh, people have been out in force. Um, where have they been doing it, and what's been going on, John? Yeah, so I think what we're seeing now is a new radical protest zeitgeist. Now, I know you love that term, Jamie. Oh, I love it. So for quite a few years now, I've talked about, and actually Bryce Edwards has talked about as well, this new radical zeitgeist or this new anti-establishment zeitgeist. And I think this is the, the next stage with these mass protests that we're seeing around the world. And uh, th- this ranges from, of course, the uh, global warming prote- protests, the student mm. strikes, which have seen millions out on the streets around the world and uh, supposedly tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands in New Zealand at various stages. Uh, we've seen anti-Brexit and pro-Brexit marches in the UK and of course Brexit just the, the, <laughs> the tragedy of Brexit just rolls on and on. We've seen protests in the Middle East from Egypt to Lebanon uh, for example and of course in Iraq uh, Hong Kong, there's been significant protests, and um, Indonesia, which doesn't get a lot of news here, but there's been um, uh, political protests in Indonesia against a whole range of draconian laws, including uh, the proposal to outlaw sex before marriage, even for all those kinky tourists in Bali. And Chile, of course, we're seeing mass protests at the moment there, which, which is getting quite a bit of attention on the news. Finally. Finally. Um... But, you know, I mean, we are seeing a lot of protests, uh, Jeffrey. but, you know, I mean, there's the Arab Spring, uh, there's Thailand, there was 99% marches, so there have been some big protests over the course of the last five to six years. Uh, are we seeing more now? Uh, uh, are we seeing them in places where we thought we wouldn't see them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, of course, these aren't the first protests we've ever seen in the world. Uh, but I think just in the number uh, of protests and the number of people participating, uh, we are seeing something different. Um, in Lebanon, uh, for example, I'm going to talk a little bit more about later, um, but you're seeing about 20% of the country participating in these mass uh, street protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chile, you've got about 50, uh, 5% of the population participating, which is still sizable. Hong Kong's like a third. Right. So you're seeing large, large numbers. Um, even in New Zealand, we talked a few weeks ago about the climate strikes, and these were the biggest mass street protests uh, uh, since the Springbok tour. Um, and, you know, as we said then, it's hard to get people out on the streets, but people are quite willing to go out and, and protest uh, against climate change here in New Zealand or against all these other kinds of issues 
uh, around the world because there are so many different issues that people are protesting about. Mm. Um, you know, so many dis- a very disparate group of countries. You know, everything from Russia to Cameroon to Egypt to Spain to the UK um, to Algeria to Hong Kong. You know, of course, you're not going to have just a single issue or, or, or set of issues. Um, they're very specific to each country, but you are seeing you know very large turnouts. And what's more, you're also seeing these protests uh, continuing. Um, these are not just flash in the pan uh, one week, two weeks, have a big march and then it's all forgotten again um, you know, in, particularly in the Middle East you've had weekly protests in some of these countries like Algeria and Sudan that went on for months before they even saw a hint of results so there's a lot of persistence in this and even with the climate change strikes you know, this, these latest protests we had in September you know, that was just the latest edition of these climate strikes and we've seen more uh, earlier in the year and we'll see more in the future, I think. Um, are they working, John? Because, um, you know, for a lot of these marches, we see protesters and counter-protesters as well. So it's like there's a big, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's either a pro or against almost government type thing. So are they working and will they work in environments like that? They're working in terms of being able to mobilise masses of people on the street. Uh, and, and, and the momentum is definitely kept up, as, as Jeffrey pointed out. I read an interesting uh, New York Times piece yesterday that said one of the one of the contradictions of these protests is, yes, these are some of the biggest protests we've ever seen in world history. Uh, but if we compare it with, I guess, the last radical zeitgeist of the 1960s and 70s, where you also had mass protest movements around issues, say, in America, of civil rights, uh, women's rights, LGBT plus rights, etc., in Vietnam, uh, and Vietnam um, those protests seem to have achieve their goals uh, and even with 68 in France where you had a, a mass workers and student uprising uh, which in the end was uh, on the face of it defeated it led to a new period a, a liberalisation of, of French politics so we can talk about the world being in this 1968 post-1968 period where a lot of those goals were achieved um, on, on, on face value anyway in terms of uh, civil rights for uh, black people in America an extension of women's rights uh, homosexuality is no longer illegal in most of the Western world at least and increasingly in large parts of some parts of the global south. What we're seeing now though is that um, these radical protests don't seem to be amounting to the type of uh, um, system change that we saw in the 60s and 70s yeah. and there are arguments that just because of the nature of the globalised capitalist system especially in terms of economic demands uh, the capitalist system just can't allow for or, pr- or produce the type of reforms that we've seen previously, whether in the 1930s with union mobilisations against the Depression and, and the whole of left-wing governments coming to power, um, and, and, and again in the 60s and 70s with all these uh, social liberal reforms. We just don't seem to have that flexibility with the globalised nature of capitalism that governments uh, just don't have the, have the mechanisms to control control nation states in the way that they did in previous decades where governments were able to roll out um, Keynesian economic policies which mm-hmm. which amounted to huge government intervention in capitalist economies whereas now because of uh, globalised capitalism and the, and the hyper-competitive nature uh, between different economies in the world um, whether um, governments can uh, implement uh, uh, economic reform they just don't seem willing to, and we've got that in New Zealand with the so-called transformative government which economically at least seems to be doing bugger all.
And uh, I guess you've also got the counter of the rise of nationalism, right? Mm. So governments have a mandate from that side of things, so they're like, oh, well, do I really need to change? Because we've got this massive voter block that's pretty much the, the anti yeah, and we're seeing, uh, so this new radicalism is manifesting itself in both left-wing and right-wing forms, and in and, and, and terms of what political forces are winning out in terms of elections, it tends to be the populist right, whether that's in America with Trump, uh, or Duterte, say, in um, the Philippines, so it's not just a Western phenomena, uh, and, and we're seeing the rise of, of populist electoral parties throughout the world that are doing well. Um, but again, are, are they are, are those populist right-wing governments actually delivering uh, what their voters want? Um, uh, is Donald Trump making uh, America great again? Yes, he's uh, imposed uh, some trade restrictions on China, um, but his whole call to, to bring back industry to America uh, and to have um, um, uh, to recreate the middle class from the disaffected working class, uh, again, it, it, he's not delivering. And can he deliver? I don't think it's impossible. Um, we'll look at a couple of localised uh, areas now. We'll start with you, Geoffrey, um, with Lebanon. What's going on over there? What sparked protests in Lebanon? Well, yeah, these protests are very recent. They started about 10 days ago. Uh, and they were initially sparked by a new tax on WhatsApp voice calls, uh, surprisingly enough. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so mobile phone uh, costs there are, are, are quite high. And, you know, the, the telcos are controlled by the state. Uh, and so this was a way of getting around those higher charges, was using uh, your data and making calls that way. Um, but, you know, Lebanon's really in a bit of economic crisis, has been for a long time, very high high debt levels. They're under a lot of pressure to service the debt from their international lenders. So the government's trying to get money wherever they can and they come up with taxes which seem to disproportionately affect the poor, surprisingly enough, mm. rather than on the elites who drive around Beirut in their, their nice new SUVs. So this was the plan for a new tax on WhatsApp calls, but also on petrol and wheat, which are of course you know, absolute staples, um, you know, and you know, are an effective way of, of tax gathering, because it's it's you know it's impossible to avoid you know uh, using petrol or, or wheat, you know, but but of course they affect the the poor very much. But anyway, so in response to this, you had these mass. Uh, protests um, out on the streets and what's been notable is that they have not been sectarian in any way they have been across the spectrum in Lebanon. Lebanon is a very heavily divided country between uh, Sunni and Shiite Muslims, each of those groups has around 30% but then there's a sizable Christian group, the Maronite Catholics mm -hmm. around about 20% there's also the Druze uh, grouping uh, which is separate again, about another 5% so that's always been a major fault line along Lebanese politics and was in part led to the civil war back from 1975 to, to 1990, that long civil war back in the, the 80s primarily. Uh, and the outcome of that was a power sharing deal and um, you know, you've got half the parliament uh, uh, is Christian and then you've got the president being a Maronite Christian, the prime minister is a Sunni Muslim, the speaker of parliament is a Shiite Muslim. So it's all been very carefully divided up. And this has actually led to a system of patronage and really a lot of corruption because, you know, you've got essentially positions to dole out based on, you know, your religious affiliation. Um, and these protests have been uh, really, you know, ac across these lines. And uh, one protester told the BBC, for example, uh, people are realising that a Christian living in extreme poverty is no different from a Sunni or Shia living in extreme poverty. So they are quite class-based. Uh, and 
you know, Lebanon also has a huge number of young people who are without work. Forty um, percent of young people are unemployed. So this provides a large base of people who are very uh, disenchanted and disgruntled with their political establishment, and their demand is 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 very sweeping. They want the removal of the whole ruling class, um, whoever it is, uh, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's um, the uh, Maronite Christian president, whether it's the Sunni prime minister, whether it's the uh, the Shiite Speaker of Parliament. I mean, they've been calling on all of them to resign. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Uh, they just want uh, want rid of them. Um, so, you know, the government has been a bit perplexed by this because the, you know these protests are so sweeping and so sudden, uh, and so widespread against the whole uh, political establishment in the country. So, the Prime Minister Said uh, Hariri he's announced some basic economic reforms, populist reforms, such as cutting a salary in half um, and taxing the banks and so on to try and uh, appease the protesters. And they're having none of that, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, They're not going to be bought off by symbolism, um, essentially, is what they're saying. And they've just had enough of the, the corruption. And, uh, and I think that's such a key part of these protests, particularly in the Middle East, is uh, you know, they're against corruption of these regimes. Um, and so... Yeah, we'll have to see what what happens as the as this goes on. Over the weekend, there was a human chain across much of Lebanon, so people linking together. This was a, a tactic that they learned from the Baltic states mm-hmm. back uh, when just before the breakup of the Soviet Union back 30 years ago. Uh, there was a human chain uh, staged through the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, end to end solidarity. You know, showing that we're united, we're Lebanese. And that we're just not going to take it anymore. I mean, could, you, could we see this um, uh, after the protests finish of, of the country kind of coming closer together? With you said, you know, so secular. Um, do you think that this might bring uh, the people of Lebanon uh, a, 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 together and have a out, good outcome for the country as a whole, or could we just see back to the status quo of, of butting heads between Sunni and Shiites and? Yeah, I think it's all too early to tell exactly how it's all going to play out. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're just 10 days into this in Lebanon, so it's really too too early to tell. Um, at the moment, it's, it's mass frustration. Mm. Um, the government's standing by. There's been some clashes, some outbreaks of violence, but there hasn't been a widespread crackdown by the military yet, and that may still come. In mm. Iraq, you've seen you know the military stage quite a bit crackdown against the protesters. About 100 people were killed again over the weekend. Um, that could still come in Lebanon, and when things turn bloody, you know, things turn can turn very different. Um, at the moment, it's still largely quite peaceful, and you know you've seen descriptions of this being a bit of a, like a carnival atmosphere in the streets, people protesting, which is very unusual in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Chile, John. Um, and another one that's kind of been sparked by something you you know we've got WhatsApp in um, Lebanon mm. and what, what about what have we what sparked it in Chile these mass protests? Yeah, so it was a, a metro fare hike that sparked the protests in Chile. Uh, but as with Lebanon, there's obviously uh, huge levels of discontent with the whole system mm-hmm. in Chile, with the ruling class, with the political elite, etc. So these have ended up being mass protests. Uh, there's been more than one million people. Uh, 
on the streets of Chile's capital, San Diego, uh, last Friday, and, and, and protests have, have erupted uh, around the country. Um, in a similar way with Lebanon, these, these protests are very decentralised, uh, ostensibly leaderless, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and social media is playing a big part in, in, in sort of uh, pushing these protests for, forward. And I guess that's a big part of these new protest movements, that social media plays such a key role, and that you know, throughout the world now, uh, e- e- even poor people in the global south can afford to have a, some form of smartphone mm. and have access to the internet, and it just allows for um, immediate mass communication um, and, and the ability to mobilise huge amounts of people. Um, Chile's a really interesting case because it, it, it's actually one of the more wealthy mm. uh, and, and westernised countries of Latin America, um, but th- there's huge levels of inequality, and really that goes back to the whole um, Pinochet regime. Uh, in the early 70s you had a, uh, I guess a quasi-socialist, uh, uh, radical left um, regime headed by Allende, uh, the president um, and that, that was democratically elected, uh, that was carrying out a whole lot of social reforms um, to, to lessen inequality and to bring in some forms of uh, uh, workers' power within within factories, etc. Um, that regime was overthrown uh, by General Pinochet with the help of the CIA and the Americans, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and. Pinochet was won over to what can be described, I guess, as neoliberal or orthodox economic ideas of of, um, of uh, deregulating the economy, uh, of um, uh, limited state intervention in the economy, of course, mm. uh, hyphen state intervention in terms of military authoritarian control over people, but in terms of the economy, it, it became a, a model case for free market economics, yeah. and the legacy of that is that uh, we've got some of the highest levels of inequality in the world. In um, Chile, where you've got, um, if you're rich, uh, you have access to some of the best uh, uh, private hospitals and private schools and private institutions in the world, uh, but for the majority of the population, they, uh, they're they having to deal with uh, crappy public schools, crappy public hospitals, uh, low wages, um, uh, cost of living is a big um, factor um, with these protests, and yeah, so the whole system is in crisis. It's not seen as legitimate anymore. You've also, I mean, they've privatised, like you were saying, privatised everything, even the water, you know, mm. uh, and you've got some places in uh, in Chile and in, in poor areas where there's a lot of um, avocado being grown and other crops where there's no water for the people because it's all been sucked out by the, by the, the companies, um, you know, um, uh, using irrigation on their on their land, so people uh, literally have no water and no access to it because they're not allowed to it. So you got cities with with rivers that are trucking in water for their people. It's crazy. Mm. And all these policies were implemented under, like I said, a military dictatorship. Mm. Uh, so um, what are you going to do about it? So. Uh, People, you do have uh, democracy now, mm. but uh, people just feel for the last 30 years uh, since the uh, uh, military regime was uh, pushed aside uh, that things haven't really fundamentally changed. And so that's why the slogan is that of the protest is it's not just 30 peso in terms of the increase in hikes um, for um, metro, mm. uh, the metro system, but it's 30 years of, 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 of um, nothing fundamentally changing. And you're about to have the OECD meeting in Chile as well, which is... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
a ridiculous time. Okay, so I mean, globally, if we look at this, I mean, are we really, is there a big change? Um, you know, you said social media is driving uh, some of these protests. Are we going into a new phase uh, of where this will be a constant now um, if, if people aren't getting uh, what they think is a fair deal? Um, will we see this as, you know, continue for eons? Yeah, I think we're in an, we're in an ongoing uh, epoch of radicalism, if not extreme radicalism, where, where the, the global economic system and various political systems that support the economic um, framework are no longer seen as legitimate. But it feels like there's also no real alternative. People vote in alternatives, whether yeah. it's Syriza in Greece, which was a radical left-wing party that ended up uh, going along with austerity right-wing uh, policies, uh, whether they voted in the wonderful transformative government in New Zealand, which again doesn't seem to be delivering, uh, whether the experiments in Latin America, such as Venezuela, with so-called 21st century socialism, which seem to be in utter tatters now, mm -hmm. um, that yes, there's a, there's a call for radical change on both the left and the right, but it doesn't, it is amounting to some significant changes in terms of the personnel who are running states, whether that's Trump in America or uh, Duterte in the Philippines or um, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. Um, but if the system as a whole isn't able to bend, and, and, and meet those new desires, then it will continue, political regimes and economic regimes around the world will continue to be seen as illegitimate. And that's going to fuel a whole lot of the radicalism, mm. not, not just left-wing uh, protest-type radicalism, but I, I think um, uh, various forms of uh, populism, whether they're based on religion, say Islam, Buddhism, um, uh, so Islam and uh, Buddhist chauvinism uh, continue to be on the rise, despite, despite the ISIS leader supposedly being um, killed mm -hmm. uh, a couple of days ago. Um, uh, nationalism is on the rise, various forms of new forms of fascism are on the rise, and of course uh, there's a re-engagement of youth with forms of socialism and communism as well. And of course the whole environmental movement it could take a, a, a far more radical turn as well if governments just don't deliver in terms of tackling uh, global warming. What about in the Middle East um, specifically, um, where we did see the Arab Spring uh, and now we're seeing n more protests on the streets, but we also have, um, you know, it's, it's unique in, in its secular, uh, secular uh, violence type of way uh, with the Sunni of the Shiites. Sectarian. Uh, yeah. Sectarian as well, yeah, apologies. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a complete different beast to the rest of the world. Uh, you've still got, you know, quite strong dictatorships as well. You know, it does, in, in some areas, there are, I guess, illusions of democracy. Yeah, but there's, there's a lot of change going on in the Middle East. It doesn't get the attention that it did during the Arab Spring, and I think partly because, you know, Brexit and, and Donald Trump take up most of our news these days. But, you know, in Sudan, they uh, managed to get rid of uh, Omar Bashir, who had been in power for 30 years, a very mm. um, authoritarian leader, uh, wanted for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. Um, and the protesters, you know, went out there every week uh, for months to get him to resign and he did and then the military said oh yes he's gone now okay now go home but the protesters stayed on the streets because they weren't going to just let the military mm. then switch out you know their leader and then effectively keep the whole system in place they wanted you know a systemic change they wanted uh, you know a process 
uh, to leading to free and fair elections, uh, and not just a quick sham uh, window dressing uh, uh, approach, which the military effectively were, were offering. So you saw that in uh, Sudan. And then in Algeria, they also managed to get rid of uh, President Bouteflika, who'd been there for 20 years uh, and was very much uh, ingrained in, in, in his power. And uh, they've got elections coming up in December. Uh, the protesters there are a little worried. I think that this is going to be that kind of sham process because you know if you hold elections quickly, this just favours a sham kind of process mm. where you get another strong man uh, in power. But still, there's there's real signs of optimism, and you saw weekly protests for months and months and months in Algeria and the main streets there of Algiers. A huge, huge protest. It got very little coverage internationally, but yeah. it was it was very big in the Middle East. Yeah, and of course there has been a lot of change. Um, even if you look at Southern Africa with um, Zimbabwe and even getting rid of uh, Zuma in um, South Africa as well. Mm. Uh, all right, well, uh, we've run out of time, but thank you both for coming in this morning. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Jamie. It is now uh, five minutes to, and, um, yeah, long may these protests continue, uh, and uh, it's good to see them happening here in Aotearoa as well with the um, the nurses, uh, teachers, uh, school climate strikers, uh, and even more university students getting out and about uh, for the first time since the early 90s. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. All right, it's almost time for news. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.